Turn with me to Genesis chapter 8. This year, once again, just as a refresher for everybody that uh, may be your first or second week here. Um, we've been going through systematically since January, talking about doctrine. Um, it's been on my heart actually for a number of years to do this, to, to uh, lay out systematically what we believe. We're going to use this not only this year, but we're going to be using it in the years to come that when folks come to our church new and they start coming around, hanging out, if they want to go deeper, if they want to have more of an understanding of, of what we believe, but what the Bible says and, and what, uh, what the Word of God is for them, they'll be able to take these classes. We're doing everything on videotape and, and we are... Uh, doing all these handouts, and so it'll be a class uh, once a week where they'll be able to come, they'll be able to know exactly what we believe according to the Word of God. But we've been going through doctrine in the last few weeks that I was here. We've been talking about covenants. Covenants are, is how God deals with man. The very first man, Adam and Eve, had a covenant. We call, the, uh, we call it, the, the theologians call it, and I agree, it, makes, it, makes, it gives it a good name. It was a covenant of works. Don't eat that tree, and if you do, you get everything. Well, that was a very simple covenant. One thing they had to remember, and they blew it. They screwed it up. So then God had to deal with that, and he dealt with that, and then he made another deal. Don't, you know, this is, live this way, do this, so on and so forth. And we've been talking about covenants all the way along here. This week, what I want to do is I want to look at some of those old covenants and how they were made and what they were for. Because what it will do is it puts into context the covenant that we have. The New Testament says that we have a new and better covenant. So if we have a new and better covenant then what is the old and not better covenant? It's good to know that. It's good to have a perspective, something to gauge it by. So I want to look at a few covenants here. The first one being God's covenant with Noah and all living flesh. Um, God destroyed everything. If you saw the movie, how many saw the movie? Uh, Noah? Really? Just a few? Yeah, it was terrible, I heard. But that's okay. If it gets people talking about God, you know, I guess then we, then we can direct them in the right direction. There's a bunch of stuff in there. I mean, I have not seen it, but I, from what I've heard, you know, that the, the, uh, the, the Nephilim and, uh, did not help Noah and then become angels again somehow. or just, just very interesting stuff. Let's stick with the Bible. We know that's uh, straight up. We know that's true. So Genesis 8.20 talks about what happened after the water receded and you know be praying for that now it's th these verses we're speaking about today <laughs> bear direct importance to uh, what's happening in our community and world uh, even today Genesis 8:20 says then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and and of, of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar and when God smelled the pleasing offering or the pleasing odor the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind. See, there right there is proof that barbecues are good. <laughs> barbecues are a wonderful thing. Sorry, I lost my place. Where are we? 
I will never again curse the ground because of humankind. For the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth, nor will I ever, ever again destroy every living creature as I have done. As long as the earth endures seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So, God looks at what he just did. He had to do it. The earth was, was absolutely devoid of good. The only one who was righteous was Noah. The only one that had any good in him. God looked, it says that he looked to and fro on the earth and he only found one. I think I, I shared this statistic uh, a few years ago in talking about something else. But do you, do you remember what I said about how many of the, they estimated the number of people that were on the earth when the flood happened? It was billions, yep. They estimated if that people lived and as often as they had children and the law, as long as they lived, so on and so forth, that by the time of the flood that there were 13 billion people on the earth. And God looked over the whole earth. He looked to and fro and all he could find was one. But because of that one, we live. Because of that one, he preserved humankind and the life on the earth. And so, he destroys the earth, but then he looks at it and he goes, I'm not going to do that again. Praise God. So even though the uh, water keeps rising, there are still certain places that still flood out, but he isn't going to wipe out the whole earth ever again. He, he said, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not gonna, it's not going to be destroyed that way. Now, he didn't say he wasn't going to destroy it again. It will be destroyed again by fire next time, which doesn't make it better. I don't I mean, it doesn't make it easier to take, I guess, but at least uh, we won't be a part of it. Amen? Amen? We won't be in amongst that. Genesis 9, verse 7. And you, he's telling Noah, and you be fruitful and multiply, abound on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, As for me, I'm establishing my covenant. And we're, we're talking about covenants, so here's where we start talking about what he's doing. I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, that's us, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between you and me and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow, rainbow, in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow, when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So, last time we spoke, 
we went through the covenant ceremony. There was, there was a, a set of steps that whenever a covenant was made, then uh, that's, this is how they would do it. Now, the steps that we have are, are not like it's, you know, every single one has to be followed, but the, the pattern is the same. These, there's some certain things that will happen in a covenant. A deal is made. Remember, that's what a covenant is. It's an agreement. It's a contract. It's, a, it's an agreement or a, or a deal between two parties. And in that, they, they agree that they're going to join this covenant or this contract, but this is a contract that cannot be broken. It can't be. It, it is, if it's broken by one of the parties, the other one gets to destroy them. Curses come on them. You know, in the covenant process, there are curses placed on one side or, or on both sides that if one of them breaks the covenant, breaks the agreement in any way, shape, or form, those curses come on those people or those, that party of the covenant. In this one, in this covenant, because God make, made a covenant, remember the first covenant with, with Adam? says, don't eat of the tree. If you do, these are the curses, you'll surely die. And that's what happened. As soon as they ate, they began to die. And ever since then, every human being dies. This covenant that he makes with Noah isn't about you will live forever, but he does make a covenant, I'm not going to do this again. The only difference, do you see what the difference between the first covenant and this covenant is? Do you see anything different? In this covenant, there are no expectations on man. God makes a covenant and says, this is what I'm going to do. He didn't say, if you do this, I'll do this. If you fulfill this, I will fulfill this. He didn't say that. In this covenant, he says, here's what I'm going to do for you. I won't destroy the earth in a flood ever again. And I'll prove it. Here's, here's the sign, and we'll talk about that in a second, because in a covenant, there's always a sign that reminds you of the covenant. But in this one, it wasn't based upon man's goodness, because he said, every intent of man is evil. He understands that we're not any good, that if we're left to ourselves, we will break the covenant again. Human beings can't keep the covenant. Praise God for the new and better covenant. Praise God for the one that we don't have anything to do with. But here's an example, the first example, of a covenant that does not rely upon the second party. It's only on the first. Has he ever again wiped out the earth with a flood? No. And he says he won't. He is faithful taking away from this what we can gather from this is god is faithful he will do what he says he did what he said he would do in the first covenant with adam even though man didn't fulfill it even though man failed in this covenant god is still doing today what he said he would promise to do in every covenant that has ever been made he continues to hold up his side he doesn't fail he doesn't drop his side you know what you can take away from that is he doesn't do it in the covenant we have with him either the covenant he made with us through the blood of Jesus Christ is an everlasting covenant that he will not break he said if he will do this he will do it 
If he promised something, he'll do it. If he, if he, if he said, this is my part of the agreement, that's what's going to happen. We can count on it. See, we don't deal with covenants the way they did back then. You know, the, the agreements we make with each other are not obviously as, as binding. They're not blood covenants. You know, uh, you need to buy a house, John. We're going we're gonna to spill a little blood here. Kind of feels like it sometimes, but we don't actually spill blood. But, and, but you know, when you're going through the, the covenant agreement to buy a house, you make agreements. If you don't pay, this is what's going to happen to you. These, they don't call them cursings. They might as well. But if you don't pay, this is what's going to happen. There's agreements back and forth. But it's still not like the kinds of covenants that we're talking about here, these, these blood covenants that are based upon your life that you cannot break. And then we have one who is greater than us, God, who will not break the covenant. But as human beings, we still think like human beings. How many of you, and don't raise your hand, this is a, a rhetorical question. How many of you believe that God will do everything he said he will do every time that you need him, every moment of every day as you go through your life? I know we'd like to go, yeah, absolutely, I do. But we don't, we don't trust. We don't, because we've, we've seen failure from other people and we base it on that. You know, we talk about that with fathers. We base our relationship with God on our, on our earthly father many times. If we have an earthly father who's, who was mean and, and, and uh, uh, failed us in any given way, shape, or form, many times that's the way we'll look at God. Well, yeah, I, you know, I can't trust God. Or if we had a really good father, one who showed us love and, and, and uh, was a benefactor, was a blessing to us, then we, we have a better, an easier time relating to God. We base how we view God on other people, how people treat us. But in this situation, we have to get from there. That's where we start. We have to get past that to the point where we believe and trust God that he will keep his covenant no matter what. Because once we do, everything changes. Everything. Because it's by faith, by believing that he'll do it, is when things start to work. That is the currency of heaven. So, let's take a look at this real quick. I'm not going to spend a lot of time going through each of these parts. Some of them are not mentioned. Um, you know, I don't know how he took off the coat or the robe, how he took off the belt, how they exchanged those things. But we do know, we can see, according to Scripture here, when the, cut, when the covenant was cut, when blood was spilled. Genesis 8, verse 20 through 22, Then Noah built an ark to the Lord and took every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings to the Lord, or on the altar. And so Noah was the one who spilled the blood. He gave offerings. I mean, he was just thankful it dried up. You can imagine. I mean, they'd never seen rain like that, never experiencing a storm like that, never experiencing a, a total cataclysmic event like that, that all of a sudden it stops raining. But if you've read the story, or if you haven't read it lately, read it again, it doesn't dry up. They're in that boat for a year. I mean, can you imagine after you know, a couple of weeks and your, you know, the wife says, uh, he did say it was going to dry up again, right? Yeah. 
But he had a, a really good opportunity to practice. It took him 120 years to build the ark, and he trusted God every step of the way. He showed himself faithful. So a year, that's nothing. Theoretically. But every day, the, it keeps drying out. Every day it keeps going. But once he gets off that boat, man, I'd be thankful too. Just to get away from the cats. I mean, that alone... We don't see step four, raising of the right arm, the exchange of the names, making a scar, step six. But we do see the covenant terms. Covenant terms, step seven. Genesis 9, 11. I establish my covenant with you that I never again shall, all, shall, or never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. That was the covenant terms that he made with Noah. Step nine. He planted a, a memorial. Now, he obviously didn't plant a tree. He did something even better. He put a rainbow in the sky. I've set my bow in the clouds, and I sh it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. So that is the sign of the covenant. This is a, an example of what's called a royal covenant or a royal covenant grant covenant man didn't have to do anything man did not have to fulfill any expectations they didn't have to fulfill any requirements this is an example where man was taken out of the the equation and god made a covenant based upon who he is and he will not break it and has not to this day another example of a royal grant covenant is the one that Christ did for us on the cross. It was not based on human beings doing anything. It was a human being. It was Jesus. And that was the only human factor that was involved. And he will not break the covenant because he is who he says he is. And he is the fulfillment of the ages. Let's look at the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant was, was uh, there's actually a number of different parts. It's all the way through Genesis. You, and, and you see there's some verses that I've laid out here, but you can see parts of this in other areas, even at the very first where he's called uh, to go. And, and that's, that's the first part of the agreement or the discussion, because if he hadn't gone, if he hadn't left his home, then God wouldn't have been obligated to do anything else. But let's look through this as we go. Genesis, start with Genesis chapter 15, verse 9. He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a, dove, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him all these and cut them into two, laying each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So here's the cutting of the covenant. God told him, take these animals, cut them in half, lay them in two halves. We're going to see here in a moment that God does something to take Abram out of the equation again. Even though he's making a covenant with him, he takes the human part out of the equation because he knows this is a covenant that has to last. This is a covenant now. Even though he takes him out of this portion of it, we're going to look at something that is absolutely vital, absolutely amazing, where he puts 
Abraham totally in control of what happens next with the covenant, but it's not here. Let's go on. Genesis chapter 22, beginning with verse 1. After these things, God tested Abram, and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So God tells Abraham, Here, now here's your part. The first part, he said, Cut the animals in half, lay them in half. What happens is, is that Abram falls into a deep sleep. God puts him into a deep sleep. So he didn't know whether it's a trance, whether, it's a, whether he actually saw it with his eyes, we don't know. He just said he was into a darkness surrounded him. And at that point, he saw a, a, a flaming torch and a pot, a smoldering pot, appear and pass through the pieces. He wasn't a part of that part of the ceremony. God was. God dealt with him. God made a covenant with him. I'll tell you what, Abram, I'm going to make a covenant. He pronounced all of the blessings. We'll get to that in a second. He pronounced all of the curses. He says, this is what's going to happen if you fulfill the covenant. But uh, Abram is off to the side watching this happen. A period of time goes by. At this point, he still doesn't have a son. But a period of time goes by. He does have the son of the promise. And then that son grows up. He's somewhere between 13 and 15 years old. About 40 years passes. And then God, all of a sudden, one day shows up and says, Abram, you know that son that I gave you, that son of the promise, I fulfilled my part. I gave you a son when it was impossible to give you a son. I did my part. Now it's your turn. I want you to fulfill your side of the covenant. Remember what we said that in a covenant agreement, everything that's mine is yours. Everything. You don't even have to ask me. I mean, my garage would be your garage. If you needed anything, come and get it. No, we're not in a covenant in that way. I know you try, I know. <laughs> By the way, I need the stapler back. You know, just, just let you know. No, I'm kidding. Whatever is mine is yours. Or, I mean, so everything that's mine is yours. But in that same covenant then, everything that's yours is mine. When we make that agreement in a, in a human covenant, that is the agreement. Whatever is mine is yours. Whatever is yours is mine. God says, I'll tell you what, I have the ability to give you a son. Even in your old age. Abram was uh, 100 years old and his wife was 90, 91. Miracle. God says, I can perform a miracle. I'll give you a son. He did. The son starts growing up. Abraham is excited. God now shows up and says, I want you to do your part of the covenant now. I want you to sacrifice that son. Happy Father's Day, by the way. I mean... Talk about a day, you know, all of a sudden God shows up. Whenever, you know, Abram, every time God shows up, it's been awesome. God's done things for him, blessed him, promised him things, all these things. Now all of a sudden God shows up and goes, by the way, here's what I need you to do. I need you to sacrifice that son. I need you to go up on a mountain. I'll tell you which mountain to go to. And I want you to kill your son. Whew. Here's where the gut check happens. Here's where... Your end of the bargain seems like way more than God's end of the bargain. 
where your end of the covenant seems a lot more costly than his side. It only cost him a couple of goats. And you're asking me to kill my son? So what does Abraham do? He sits around, prays about it for a week and a half, fasts and prays, seeking God, hoping he'll change his mind. No. It says he got up the next morning, loaded his son on the donkey, and started heading towards the mountain. Abraham, like many times in the Bible, it says Abraham believed God. That's his side of the covenant arrangement. Abraham believed God, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. Abraham takes off. He heads towards this place that God tells him about. It's a mountain in, a, in the region of Moriah. Remember that. That's important. When you, start, when you see names of places and you see different things, you might think, well, what, what does that have to do with anything? It was just some, some mountain somewhere. No, it was a specific mountain. God was leading him to a specific place. He said, I want you to go to a mountain in the Moriah region. Take your son. Take all the, the fixings of a, of a sacrifice, but he's going to be the offering. Abraham immediately gets up, grabs his son, takes a couple of servants with him to take care of the goods and the, the animals, and heads towards the mountain God tells him to go to. He gets all the way there, leaves the servants behind, starts going up the mountain. His son turns to him, hey, Dad, I just got a question. I, I see we got everything here for the, for the sacrifice. Where's the animal? Where's the sacrifice? Abram, don't worry about that. God will provide. You don't tell, he didn't tell his son what was about to happen. He took that end of the equation out. Don't worry, son, it's going to be okay. That's what I love telling my, my son. Yeah, just go ahead and do it. It's going to be okay. Because they're expendable. We can make another one. No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking, okay. Just kidding. It's Father's Day. Come on, you got to give me a couple. Got to give me a couple. (laughs) Verse 9 of chapter 22, Genesis 22, 9. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abram built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abram reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord, remember when we talked about the angel of the Lord? We said that the angel of the Lord many times is called a theophany. A theophany. It's actually God doing these things. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abram, Abraham. And he said, here I am. So Abraham takes the wood, takes everything, all the fixings for the, for, the, uh, for the sacrifice, lays them on there, grabs his son Isaac, ties him up, lays him on the altar, grabs the knife, ready to plunge the knife into his son, and God says, whoa, stop. <laughs> Just kidding, no, he wasn't kidding. That's, 
I know it sounds like he was kidding, but he wasn't kidding. He really wanted to know if Abraham would sacrifice his son, if he would keep up his side of the covenant. Here's where Abraham had to do his part. Here's where Abraham had to fulfill his side of the covenant because if he didn't fulfill his side of the covenant, then God's side of the covenant wouldn't have to be fulfilled. And he showed that throughout history. He didn't say when, when Adam ate of the fruit, he didn't say, oh, okay, I'm just, I'll give you another chance. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I didn't mean it really. I'm mean, just kidding. You know, okay, you're not going to die. I'll let you live a little longer. Just don't do it again. No. When God says, I'm going to, this, this is the, the terms of the covenant. This is the way it works. Whatever is mine is yours. Whatever is yours is mine. He meant it. And when he said, I'm going to give you a son, he meant it. And he fulfilled his, he did what he said he would do. Everybody say that. He did what he said he would do. You know how many times I've told my, myself when I have a promise that I'm holding on to and I'm having trouble and all of a sudden I start to waver, you know what I say? He said he would do it and he'll do what he said he'll do. I grab myself and I say, I, you know, he said he would do it and I, he'll do what he said he'll do. And right here, he gives Abraham a son. Now, a number of years later, when we're moving on along, the covenant is being fulfilled. Abraham's got what he wanted. God says, now it's my turn to ask you for something. I want your son's life. And Abraham did it. That is amazing. Now, you might say, well, wait a second. He, you know, he didn't actually have to kill him. He didn't know that. He didn't know. Right up to the point where he takes the knife and is ready to plunge it into his son, he didn't know. He assumed, because it says in Hebrews, that he assumed that God could raise the dead. Isn't that amazing? Because this is all going to tie together here in a moment. Because Abraham did something that triggered the fulfillment of the covenant all the way across the board. He did his part. When you get to heaven, you're going to want to thank Abraham for believing God. That's why he's called the father of faith. Next verse. Verse 13. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Go over real quick, and it's in your notes, so you just, you know, rustle the paper so it sounds like you're actually having to go there in your Bible. Thank you, thank you. Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. This isn't talking about Abraham, this is just going to talk about a place called Moriah. Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David had designated on the threshing floor of On Orman, Oman, Orman, Ornan, that guy, the Jebusite. God had David, had Solomon build the temple on the Mount of Moriah. It's not by accident. It's not 
Huh, that was a coincidence. No, it was a plan of God. He had him build the temple on the Mount of Moriah in the same region where Isaac was going to be sacrificed unto God and, God, and that Abraham was faithful to do it. When God talked to Abraham, he says, I have a mountain I want you to go to, and I want you to give your only son, your only begotten son. I want you to sacrifice your only begotten son to fulfill the covenant that I have made with you. It was not by accident. It wasn't happen, chan happen chance, happenstance that God sent him to that specific place. Now when he talks to Abraham, he says it's to the region of Moriah. They later build the temple where all of the sacrifices of the old covenant were made in Jerusalem. The temple, they believe, was the spot where the sacrifices were made, was the spot where Isaac was going to be sacrificed. The Muslims today believe it's where the, the Temple Mount is, where the, where the Dome of the Rock is. They, but they believe that it was Ishmael that was going to be sacrificed. They're wrong. Leave that for what we absolutely know. Here is my opinion, here's my speculation, here is what I think actually happened. I don't believe that that's actually the spot. I actually believe that within eyesight of that spot where the temples were built is a place called Golgotha. Because it said it was the region of Moriah. It didn't say it was the mountain of Moriah. And on the mount of Golgotha, God did provide. He provided his only son. His only begotten son. He was the ram that was provided. He was the scapegoat who took away our sin. When you start looking through all of the richness of the Jewish history, what, how the, 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 the ceremonies and the, the fulfillments of everything that they had to do, they laid hands on the scapegoat and they sent it out, out of the city. Christ was killed outside of the city. His blood was shed and poured on the tree. I personally believe that, that Christ, his sacrifice happened, if not in the exact place, at least eyesight of where Abraham was ready to sacrifice his only son. Praise God, Abraham trusted God and did what he asked him to do. Because I believe that it triggered the fulfillment that God looked down and said, huh, he was ready to give his only son. I'm willing now to give my only son and fulfilled life for all of us. Step four, Genesis 17, 10. He raised the right arm, mixed the blood. This is my covenant which you shall keep between you and me and your offspring. Every male among you shall be circumcised. That was the blood part that the, that human beings had to, that the Jews had to shed for uh, the, uh, uh, the sacrifice, not the sacrifice, but for the agreement between God and, and them with the covenant. If they did not do that, if the males did not do that, they were cut off from their people. <clears throat> 
Step five, the exchange of names. Genesis 17, five. No longer shall you be called Abram. Abram uh, was his original name. He was changed to Abraham, the father of many nations. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. Also, he changed Sarai's name. God said to Abram, Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall call her, not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and moreover, I will give you a son by her. She was called the mother of many nations. She shall give rise to nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Step six, they'll make the scar. Genesis 14, 11. You shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between you or me and you. Step seven, give the covenant terms. Genesis 12, 15, and, and, and 15, 4, and 15, 17. I'll just read the first one. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. He starts telling him, this is what I'm going to do for you. Here's the terms of the covenant. We don't see him eating the morning meal, but whenever they would do a sacrifice, they'd eat of that sacrifice in Old Testament days. We don't see a mention of a, of, of a planting of a memorial. I want to look at one more. Real quickly, I just this is more of a background of, of Old Testament covenants. The one I'm not going to talk about is the Davidic covenant. I encourage you to, to look that up. Look at the covenant that God made with David. He did that after he became king. That was where the Davidic covenant was made, talking about that he would have kings on the throne forever. Does David still have a king on the throne? Yes. He does. Jesus will be on the throne forever. And he is of the line of David. But the Mosaic covenant, real quick, Exodus 24, beginning with verse 1. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. And 70 of the elders of Israel worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. So he laid down the rules of the covenant. Here's, what, here's how it's supposed to be. The rules of the covenant. Remember the, the very first rule of the covenant? The very first covenant? Don't eat of that tree. One rule. Now, by the time we get to the Mosaic covenant, there are about five books of rules. Five books of guidelines and have-tos and don't-dos and all those kinds of things. But Moses tells them all the rules. And the people answer with one voice, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Right. Moses wrote down all the words. He rose up early, built an altar at the foot of the mountain. Verse 5. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt sacrifices, sacrificed peace offerings, so blood is shed in these verses. Moses take, took half of the blood and put it on the, in the basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Verse 8, 
And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in the accordance with all these words. Can you imagine when they were doing blood covenant sacrifices back in those days, the amount of blood that would be covering the area? I mean, you know, sorry, it's going to be lunch here in a bit. Eat vegetables today, you'll be better. Not on Father's Day. Yeah, what if I not even know? Oh, sorry. <laughs> she's plugging her ears. She doesn't want to hear about all the blood. So she's, yeah. It was bloody. Let's just put it that way. It covered everything. It covered, I mean, when they were when David sacrificed uh, all those animals on the way into bringing the altar into Jerusalem, when Solomon, thousands, thousands of animals sacrificed, there was blood everywhere. I had a friend of mine once tell me when I was trying, I was witnessing to him. Yeah, he was cool, you know, he was really cool. And I was telling him about Jesus and I was telling him, you know, about that he needed Jesus. And he goes, oh, I'm not into that bloody religion. And, I'm, and I, I sat there for a moment and I went, man, you have to be. That's the answer. Praise God it isn't the blood of animals anymore poured out all over everything and, you know, everywhere you walk and covered over all over your clothes. I mean, everything. It was, though, with Jesus when he was killed on the cross. I mean, you know, I, we saw the, the movie a number of years back, the, the Passion of the Christ. Man, that's a hard movie to watch. Still doesn't depict accurately what happened to Jesus. It was worse than that. It says he was unrecognizable as a man. Oh my goodness. What he did, what he went through, his blood being shed, saving us from our sins. It's the only way. It's the only way it works. And once he did it, it's once and for all. It's a covenant that cannot be broken on his side. He can't break it. He made it with himself. He will not break it. But then we do have a part to play. We do have a decision to make. The only requirement on our side, we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. The Mosaic Covenant was also a covenant of circumcision. The exchange, exchange of names, step five, they were called from that day on Israel. The terms of the covenant are found in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and other places. They ate a memorial meal. They used the stones as a memorial, the stones of the altar as a memorial of what God had just done. God tells Moses that if Israel obeys, they will be his chosen people, his treasured possession. Ultimately, these blessings will be extended to all people. This conditional promise is a, is a suzerian vassal covenant, big fancy theological words, and brings Israel closer to realizing the promises. Every step God makes from the first covenant with Adam 
through Abraham, or through Noah, through Abraham, or I'm sorry, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, every covenant reveals a little bit more. It reveals a little bit more of who he is and what he's done for us. His deal. His, and ultimately, and, and it says that, that the Old Testament prophets wish to see the fulfillment of the ages. And the fulfillment is when Jesus Christ gave his life, died on that cross, and shed his blood for our sins. That's what we'll talk about next week, is how Jesus cut covenant and won all of the blessings for us. The promise of an eternal kingdom is ultimately fulfilled in Christ, who is David's kingly lineage. And we see that in the New Testament in Luke chapter 1, verse 30. Abraham is called the father of faith. The seed of Abraham was Jesus Christ. Hebrews talks about that. We're going to spend some time on that because that's important. Covenants are legal agreements. Legal agreements have fine print. And there's reasons why things work the way they work. They, they're, they're there for a reason. They're not by accident. Jesus is or was who he was by lineage by on purpose to fulfill the agreement. To fulfill the promise. Every step of the way, God was orchestrating it. And in the end, a covenant was made with us that saves us. Our part to play, though, is submission. Our part to play is submitting to him, saying, I can't get to heaven. I can't spend eternity with him of my own accord. I can't do it. I don't have the ability... I don't have the wisdom. I don't have anything that it takes to fulfill my side of the covenant. The only thing I can do is to agree with him. Jesus, I accept. Jesus, come into my life. I yield my life to you. Lord, I want everything that's yours. But that means you get everything that's mine. My goodness, what a great trade. What an amazing trade. God, take it. It wasn't worth anything to begin with. But if you want it, I'll give it to you. That's grace. That is grace. The, the fact that we don't need it, or we don't deserve it, we, don't, we don't, can't earn it, we can't do anything, and yet he's given it to us anyway. In exchange for this. Thank you, Jesus. But it's a decision that you make. It's a choice that you make to follow him. And then he gives you the Holy Spirit, which, which gives you the ability to live it. Day in and day out, making the right choices. I mean, even after you're saved, you still make wrong choices. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to live my life for him. I want, I want you know, and he says, good, then get filled with the Holy Ghost, and then you, I'll live through you. He'll give you the ability to do it. It is a better covenant all the way around. The Old Testament folks didn't get the Holy Spirit. Some of them did. They did amazing things once they did. But nowadays, all flesh can be filled with the Holy Ghost as long as they're in the kingdom. Let's stand.
Father, I ask you to continue to reveal to us your covenant. Reveal, help us to understand how this works. Help us to understand the depth, the width, the breadth. Help us, Father, to be able to operate within this covenant to the fullest. Lord, get rid of the stuff in our life that's holding us back, our doubt, our unbelief, our fear. <clears throat> and help us to live, to be worthy of that covenant. Father, show us where we need to submit, when we need to submit. Show us how to do it. Give us the ability to do it. Because, Lord, it's a lot better there than we're, where we live most of the time. Father, thank you. Father, you truly are a good father. Help us as fathers of our children, of our families, to learn from you, to be like you in the way that we treat each other, how we treat our families, how we, how we treat, how we live in this world. Wherever you're at, just reach out and lay your hands on a father somewhere. If it's your father or somebody who's, if your kids aren't here, just pray for them real quick here. Father God, bless these fathers. Give them wisdom, Father. In the areas that they're messing up, help us, Lord. In the areas where we're actually doing pretty good, help us to get even better. Forgive us, Lord, where we fall short. And thank you, Father, where you give us the ability to resemble you and to, to show you in the world around us. Help us to, to be men of God, fathers in the kingdom of God, to our children and the children that are around us. Father, thank you for these guys. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.